0: We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host John, and I'm
1: your host Ahmed. And today our our guest is uh, our good friend Joe Rocky, who is going to sit down with us and explain his entire, I guess, what eleven years in real estate and what he has learned and um, what he's learned along the way and what he does now. So what's really interesting, um, like. Contrary to like some of the previous uh, real estate guys that we've had on black box. uh, He has a completely different approach that he takes with real estate. Um, He's has some experience with wholesaling and um, with no liability renting, which was really interesting to get to learn and talk about. So um, I think this is going to be a really good one, uh, especially if you're, at least somewhat interested in getting into real estate in the future.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, Really good take just because like Ahmed said, it's another approach that someone was able to find and be successful in real estate. It just goes to show that you don't have to do the same thing as everybody else, the same, you know, whatever cookie cutter template that everyone shows on social media. And uh, it's really just figuring out the environment that the properties that you're working with are in and how you can leverage the laws and the people in that area to have it be a win-win for everyone involved. So great episode. Thank you again, Joe. And let's get into it. Let's do it. We're super excited to uh, announce on black box that we have our first advertisement. And it is with our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, which is what we've been using since day one to record remotely with our guests. Uh, and they've become a new sponsor for the show. So, tune in, check out the podcast discount link in our show notes, and stay tuned to hear more about why we love Zencaster.
1: Hey guys, we're really excited to tell you guys about Black Ice, the black-owned jewelry business uh owned by Sean Moore, who we've had on the podcast before. And if you just think about it, black box, black ice, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> I love that.
0: Uh, yeah. So, you know, jewelry in itself, obviously it's flashy, but you know, on black box, we'd like to talk more about the investment aspect. Gold jewelry, as well as watches are a physical asset class in their own, which is a bit safer. And if you've seen the markets in the past year or so, stock market and crypto have been down a lot, whereas gold is really good at preserving its value. And that's what it's known for. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I've worked with him before personally to get a gift from my mother. That was also a slightly custom piece as well. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Sean. He was easy. He was flexible. The price was fair. And, you know, I met up with him quick and easy transaction and my mom loved the gift and it turned out great.
1: Yeah, so if all of this sounds good to you, you could check out his website or his socials. Um, It's Black Ice NYC, but it's black with a V instead of an A. And if you're looking for something stock, you could find it there. But he also does custom goods and he specializes in doing custom things with a quick turnaround.
0: Uh yeah, and also if you're looking for a specific item, especially with, you know, watches, Sean loves to do sourcing and because he's in the business, it's a little bit better pricing than going directly through retail and working with, you know, the corporations. We also think it's a bit better, and we talk about that on the pod, that you'd be supporting, you know, an upcoming entrepreneur and a small business instead of going and giving your money to these big corporations anyway.
1: Yeah. So again, we're so excited to partner with Black Ice and be sure to check the description down below for Uh, hit sean's socials and his website and stay tuned for cool opportunities coming very soon
0: just don't forget to mention the black box sent you
1: all right joe thanks so much for coming on uh I guess, can we get started by just having you introduce yourself quickly?
2: Sure. Yeah. I'm Joe Rocky. Um, I've been running my various real estate companies since 2011, um, June 1st, 2011. I distinctly remember the day we started that, um, <laughs> the day I walked out of the old business. So uh, yeah, it, it's been great. We, I started doing flips um, thankfully i had already bought the second flip before I uh, finished the first one. Cause the first one was an abysmal disaster. Um, when I came into this, I really had no idea what I was doing. I'm selling life insurance. I mean, I was essentially an accountant and finance guy that was selling life insurance. Good at it, but it has nothing to do with, you know, running cruise. So came out, ran cruise. The, uh, the first guy took me for a ride and then some, and then, the second one, as all the turmoil was happening, I was like, hey, let's buy the second one but not see how this first one ends. That more than made up for the mistakes of the first one. And quite frankly, had I not already owned the second one, um, I don't I'm sure I'd still be here. I'd probably be part of that 97% of Allegheny County that never does a second flip. So <laughs> that's kind of how we started. 11 years later, we're still going strong. Had a lot of permutations throughout the life. A lot of... um a lot of wholesaling now in the second half of the of the career. A lot more rentals going on, um, and rentals were ultimately my goal from the beginning. I wanted money to pay me when I was old for work that I did when I was young, um, and that that's really been the goal of the driving force of all of it. Fix the long term problems while I still can, and don't let them ever get created.
1: Essentially, awesome. So I guess I guess we have to start with your that first flip that you're talking about and how it was a disaster what do you mean by that
2: well i I had no idea how to run a crew so um the crew really ran me instead of the other way around um so so to get into some of the specifics of it it just was a basic three-bedroom house um it was a property that had a shared driveway and um, this is how naive it was. I never checked to see which one of us owned it. I just assumed it came with my property because the way that the driveway went it curved into into the backyard there and a nice little parking pad. So found that out later when we resold it, um, that I tell you that to show you the kind of diligence I was at. I just wanted to be out of my old job. And, and like I said, this real estate, So what kind of fell into it. Yeah. The, um, the crew themselves, just like I said, they took advantage of me. And then some I overpaid them up front. I let them be in charge of material purchases. Um, wasn't really on them in terms of when they were supposed to be there and working. You know, I just had this assumption, Hey, they're adults. They're going to you know, go to work like they're supposed to. Um, and I don't need to be all over them. So needless to say that didn't exactly come to pass. Um, you know, a project that should have been three weeks probably took about three months got done Hell, the end of September. It should have been done a 4th of July weekend. It got done at the end of September. So completely missed the selling season. Awesome. Um, so all of that stuff uh, kind of culminated into the worst thing ever. And then all, the, the kicker of all of it, which I'm amazed I found a buyer that liked this. You guys know how when you like resurface hardwood floors, how you put the stain down and then wipe it off? Well, they never wiped it off. So basically, I just had a black film all over all these hardwood fil- floors. And thankfully, the guy who wanted it just wanted a black house. He was like a goth guy, but his <laughs> But um, it, it was crazy. Like like everything that could have gone wrong basically did. And that was, uh, yeah, that was some of the kickers oh. of that house.
0: <laughs> That's something that we definitely stress on the show is that, you know, sometimes when you dive into something new or like a new endeavor, you really just have to go in with very little experience, usually fail on the first or even second, third attempt. Obviously it's harder when you're dealing with, you know, investing a lot of capital like real estate. So if you fail a few times and you might be out of money, but it's just being able to quickly learn from your mistakes and kind of.
2: Oh, that, that, that certainly, uh, certainly was reality at one point in the, in the first, uh, beginning there, I definitely knew the Kellers from the electric company for, which was an actual bill, which was the 10 day notice new for the water company and the gas company. And, all of that, you know, it, it was part of it. I mean, ultimately we got everything paid and my credit's awesome now, but that was certainly part of life 10 years ago.
1: Gotcha. All right. So, I guess like after you overcame that that whole issue, um what were you doing with real estate? Like I know you said now you you're kind of looking more for renting and passive income, but back then were you like buying fixer-uppers and flipping them?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's how we started. So so we did did a whole bunch of flips there in the beginning. Um, and, and I also was really cognizant of the fact that I had just come out of a sales system where I was on the life insurance where I was expected to do all of it from uh, pipeline acquisition, getting the, the, the people that I was going to sell to in front of me, actually doing the sale and then making the follow-up happen. So I realized very quickly that my personality that cannot do all three and as like kind of evolved through life, I realized no one has a personality that can do all three phases. So one of the things I was really stressing was I wanted to get people that could fill my calendar because I realized that no matter how well I am at running crews, you really make money in this game at the acquisition. So I, I wanted to spend as much time as I could living in that world of acquisitions. So I just found partners that wanted to sit behind a desk all day and fill my calendar. So most of them had no desire to ever sitting in front of you know someone in front of their house and and, and talking numbers or whatever. But that that's my life. I'd rather do that. So I was creating a lot of partnerships in the beginning, and I kind of let them tell me what they wanted to do with the asset once we had it. Um, you know, some of them wanted to just do straight wholesales. Some of them wanted to do long term rentals. Some of them wanted to let the house tell us, you know, it's going to be a flip. It's going to be a flip if we're going to hold it, you know, whatever. So that was really kind of hodgepodge, you know, for, for about that five years. Um, till like I said, till about 17 when, all three of my crews in a three-month span imploded, um, and that was just—it was over. Um, as I said, so I'm not doing this anymore. Everything became a wholesale, or we kept it as a rental at that point, and that was how we did it. Um, and it's the, the wholesale world was was very—it was almost like cheating, having already been a flipper for so long. Like, Could I knew you just explain I knew.
0: wholesaling a little bit. Sorry. Oh, so wholesaling is basically—at least
2: in my world—it's I get um, I buy the house off of off of the daughter normally um, after mom died. So I'm buying the estate off of her and I'm getting it at, I'm going to make a math to make my life easy. I'm buying this house for 30 grand. Um, I know when a, a flipper will buy this house for 50. So I put the thing under contract and I put a definitive sales day. I put all the hard money or all the hand money down, all that fun stuff. So if I never find a buyer, I just buy this house for 30, but I already know that if I were flipping, I'd buy it at 50. So I got yeah giant juice but then i just turn around and sell it to uh to a guy who does want to do the flip normally i get it to them for my original sales date so if if i you know do a 45 day close takes me you know 15 20 days to find a buyer you know as long as they can close in the that 20 days that's left he just closes then starts his flip sooner and it's normally a win for everyone so that's what i mean by wholesaling that that's what we do um, and then everything I do in that world is with 100% sales agreements where I have hand money down and there's no backing out. There's a lot of uh, lot of guys out there that try doing it with option contracts, and then they leave the, uh, the estate hanging if they can't buy a buyer. But everything that I okay. put on a contract, it's something that I would keep myself, and I think that that's a very important distinction. As a result, I sign a whole lot less houses, but the ones that I do sign end up being worth it. So
0: then, I Absolutely. guess in the case that you don't, what if you don't get someone to to buy it from you within that closing period? Are you going to take it and try to make it a rental until you can sell it, or?
2: Yeah, it just becomes or- mine. I figure out what I want to do with it. Gotcha. Um, but normally, normally that's what we do. So what we've developed. So going through that, I realized that I wasn't making money unless I was doing acquisitions. Was the long story short that was the most profitable thing for my skill set, what I was good at. If I was visiting the crew, if I was visiting tenants, I wasn't making money. So we just really, I I emphasized everything to get there and had to figure out how to get the, uh, get the tenants out of my life. Because that was really starting to become I had hit that breaking point where I was spending more time dealing with crap really than actually going out and, and making new revenue. So That's that, like I said, that's all around that same point when we started dealing with lawyers and figuring out how to get through Pennsylvania law and a couple of congressional laws to be able to make a a package where I can have a tenant sign two different agreements um, that ultimately puts them in responsible of essentially all the liabilities, except for taxes, um, but they're eventually going to buy the house, so. That's ultimately what we did and now I tell tenants you know when when you see me again it's for one of two purposes either I'm giving you the deed or I'm giving you an eviction and there's no middle ground um, and everything else is automated so you know Jeff Goldblum and his little crazy emails collects the checks with apartments.com and you know
0: if there's an issue they take care of it Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the product that we use to record our episodes, it doesn't really have to be. Zencaster's all in one web based solution makes the process pretty quick and painless which is, you know, the way we really want it to be. If you've been listening to The Black Box for a while now, you know that we constantly talk about how we want to bring the best quality and the best content for our listeners, you guys. And with Zencaster, they provide crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video for us as we record our episodes with our guests. Uh, Not to mention it's easy to use. That's why we really like it because instead of having to coach, you know, guests on how to set up a podcast if they haven't been on one before, we basically just say show up with a mic and a a computer and you're good to go with Zencaster. Zencaster is all about making. making your podcast experience easy. And with everything from local recording to automatic post-production tools, if you want to use those, uh, you don't even have to leave your browser to get the entire episode done. If you go to zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox, you'll get 30% off on your first three months of Zencaster Pro. That's zen.ai slash blackbox, B-L-A-C-K-B-O-X. It's time to share your story. So you're really putting the liability on the person who's renting and, but it's more like a rent to buy situation or.
1: Yeah. So,
2: so the way that we had to do it here in Pennsylvania, and I know that other States can do it way easier than this um, is that we do it with an option arrangement. So the two things they sign for me is the standard lease. And then they sign an option agreement that says they'll buy it for X. So the cool part about both of those is I get to make up the prices. So, you know, I make the the rent competitive for whatever it is, and for every single tenant I've ever placed, I make them haul in a major appliance because essentially, the more of a pain it is for them, the more likely they are to stay and to make sure that they don't get evicted because they remember carrying a fridge up twelve steps and how awesome that was. Um, so that's that's something I've always done, and in this option world, we make them put five grand down. So almost all of these guys have no credit, but what they have all in common is they don't want to be micromanaged. They want to just basically live their lives. So after doing this for a number of years, I found that all of my tenants essentially fall into one of two camps. Most of my tenants fall into one of two camps. Either A, they had no idea how credit worked when they were younger and you know their credit just shot yeah. or B, their divorce attorney told them to kill their credit um, out of spite, essentially. So as a result Um, these guys all have good jobs. They essentially know how to live. They just don't have the ability to be cool with a bank. And what we do is we pair them up. Um, Like I said, uh, apartments has a program where it actually will report to either TransUnion or Experian. I forget which one. But essentially them paying their rent on time is the same in their credit score world as them paying their credit card on time. So it's another way to boost their credit scores so that they're actually going down the route um, and then the first option they get is, is a 12 month option and we can basically sit down and evaluate how, how this year go. Are you guys, someone who's actually going to be a good tenant I want to deal with, or have you been horrible? And if they're out, no, they're out. You know, I just, I just don't renew the lease. And you know, you didn't buy the house in 12 months, you're out. Um, that normally doesn't happen. Um, but if it does, it does. And Then if they don't buy the house 12 months, but they're going to, I just will then raise the price to whatever the current market rate is because You know, after a year later, everything goes up and, um, you know, just let them renew it. Although the renewal is normally for like a couple hundred bucks. It's not really any, I don't make another five grand off of them uh, because almost always they have made the house better because I give them free autonomy to do so. But that's where it comes with the liability aspect. So um, I don't shovel the snow. I don't cut the grass for them. I tell them up front, hey, you guys... Don't think of this as a tenant-landlord relationship. This is a buyer-seller relationship. When you own your house, you're not calling up your bank and saying, hey, the faucet's leaky, do something about it. It's like, no, no, you're going to have to figure it out, and this is the exact same thing. So it's, it's not something a lot of people do. It's certainly not the majority of tenants want to be treated this way, but I'm one of few people that do this in any kind of significant scale. Here in the Pittsburgh area, there's only really three companies that do it. And there's uh, it works very well. there's not a lot of us providing the service. there's not a whole lot of people that want the service. It's kind of at a nice little you know point right now where we're able to get tenants essentially you know within two weeks and charge basically whatever we want. okay,
0: okay. so I mean, is the process because it seems like it's almost like a trial run in in a sense where because they have bad credit or did something to mess up their credit that you're saying, all right, take this year or period of time to show that you can pay a rent responsibly. Does that, is that also going to reflect somehow on their actual credit report or that's just the relationship with you?
2: No, that, that that's what apartments.com does. So not oh, only does it okay.
0: collect the rent, it will report it. Okay. Yeah. So then that would hopefully raise their credit score so then they could purchase the property from you in the future.
2: Yeah, they they go and get a mortgage, and then boom,
0: I'm out. Gotcha. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So
2: yeah, there's a lot of guys out there that, that hold the own mortgage thing. Um, that that was a major. Like you're not a, a personal
0: lender, right? Yeah.
1: Uh-uh.
2: yeah. No, no. Don't even try to pretend to be one on TV. Those guys got way too many laws to, have to deal with. Uh-uh.
1: Okay. So so are they in in like a twelve month span? How much how much is somebody able to? Like better their credit with like on time monthly payments.
2: It the on time monthly payments don't really. I mean they help. I mean don't get me wrong that they, they certainly do, but they don't move the needle as much as getting down their their credit debt threshold. Um, it, it's basically like I said, it's the same as just matching your car payment on time. You get credit for it, but it doesn't move the needle. What moves your needle, especially for people in this realm, is going from. 90% credit card usage to 60% credit card usage. That's significantly more than, than anything else that, that paying it on time can do. Now, again, don't want to diminish it, but it's also the math of the, the way they do their formulas.
0: But well, I guess yeah. that really the, the metric for like good utilization is under 20%, right?
2: Yeah, whatever like it ideally, is. To get to, yeah. They just need to get to what? 550? That's all I care. I mean, they're not getting to eight eighty or eight (laughs) hundred. Okay, okay. I just need them to get to barely good enough that they can get a mortgage, and then from there, you know, it's the balls in their court.
0: That's pretty much up to just personal finances. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, So, so it's it's I'm not doing the heavy lifting of of reteaching them how to live their lives, their expenditures. Um, You know, some point there's more than enough stuff on the internet that they can figure that out. Yeah, yeah.
1: So. What what it what is this process called again? So th- this is separate from wholesaling, right? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Wholesaling is its own little thing. This
2: yeah. is, like I said, this is how we do our rentals now. Because so all of them with the option to buy, which is really great when it happens. By the way, because you basically get ten years worth of profits in one day. Um, so it, it, it that part's awesome. Um, but you're also essentially just planting seeds every time you place a tenant in there. I'm planting seeds knowing that we're going to get at least 50,000 in profit down the road. When's that going to happen? I don't know yet, but it's going to happen. And the more of them you have out there, the easier life will be at that point.
0: And you're still collecting rent in the meantime.
2: You are. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, And not to to mention that the five grand up front is a nice little bonus incentive to to cover all the marketing expenses that get you to getting these
0: houses in the first place. Got it. So... I guess it it seems like at first in your career you were kind of just like you know you didn't want to work the sales job that you were doing and you pretty much just went head first in experimented for a while and then when you said your the three crews that you had kind of uh you know you just didn't work out I guess blew up mm-hmm. if you want to elaborate on that in a second you can too um uh then after that you're I guess you went this way but how did you find this exact little niche
2: I found the I found the niche essentially from the desire of not wanting to have to babysit people, the tenants, okay. um, the tenants
0: and the <laughs> you, crews. You were like, uh-huh. how could I do this and make it work without having to deal with tenants?
2: <laughs> it, the, the, and the crews? I mean, it yeah. literally, it was that it was, it was I was dealing with too many adult children in my life, so it did change the profile of the property we bought because it went from buying the brokenest thing I could find to now totally. just finding something that's livable. Doesn't need to be the Taj Mahal, but it also doesn't need to be destroyed. I don't. It, so uh, that whole gamut of livableness, yeah. But it then became instead of about the property like it used to be, it now came about the situation, because there's a lot of people out there that are willing to sell a property for something other than money. And legally, a real estate agent cannot look into those factors. They have to sell it for top dollar or else they can get sued for ethics. Uh, But since I'm not a real estate agent, um, I can buy houses for whatever. I'm the one giving them money. Why they choose to accept my number isn't really relevant. Um, So that's really what it became was getting in front of enough people, which is a big part of it. But it's also once you're dealing with someone and realizing that Money is not the driving force behind this. It's keeping my crackhead brother from moving into mom's house. So he needs to get out of our name as quick as possible. Um, you know, stuff like that. I mean, these are real conversations yeah. I've like had with people. And it's like, okay, yeah, we can get this done like tomorrow if, if you get the prices right. And, you know, because the one thing I do have is I have a ton of title insurance guys and a ton of title lawyers um, that can move quickly. So if any one of them swamped for whatever reason, I got six of them, you know, it'll, it'll mm-hmm. find a way.
0: So you've pretty much been able to just through the process of working with a a bunch of properties, gain this network of, you know, people that you can call upon when you need.
2: Exactly. And that's the other part of being a wholesaler because as a wholesaler, you're the seller all the time. So the buyer normally gets to pick their their closing agent, which law firm they want to do to do it. And, you know, I have a variety. I have like seven regular customers that there are times when I'm going to this house and I know I'm buying it for one of them. So it, it kind of like, I know what they'll pay for. I, I'm really good with that. So that, that makes life easier. Uh, but as a result, each of them got their own guy in his own practice. And, you know, you just build relationships with them. You know, you pop in their office enough. Yeah. You know, that the, they like deal with me because I make life easier. As, as long they, as everyone they all makes dealt with my,
0: yeah, makes a little bit of money. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's it's smooth because I'm not reinventing the wheel. You know, basically, once we have paperwork that works, and which is the least relevant part to me, most annoying part, but it's the least relevant part to me is the paperwork. But once we had that all sorted out and
0: everyone was happy, I ain't reinventing it. It's just rinse <laughs> and repeat. Um, and with the the three crews, it, was it just similar to the situation? Not a not as much initially where they were taking advantage of you, but just you having to constantly be on them and kind of them trying to take advantage here and there. If you weren't fully like looking over what they were doing or.
2: Um, yes and no. They, they all, each of them imploded for a different reason. So the, the first <laughs> one um, I, I'm very straightforward. You get done with task. I pay you for task. Yeah. Um, I, I don't do partials ever since that first one, I learned we don't do partials anymore. So um, it was, Friday morning, he calls me up saying, "I need to pay him now. I need to pay him." I was like, "Are you done?" It's like I'll come by today, and if it's done, I'll give you the check. If not, you're not. He's, you know, he gets all into this. Me like I'm ruining his life because he's not done for something he said he was going to have done the weekend prior. Um, so it's like it's not my fault that 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 you're not running your own people correctly or however you want to look at it yeah.
0: Um,
2: cuz the material was all there i i remember distinctly he was putting down a um, a hardwood floor and we put it at diagonal cuz it looks better at diagonal um and he just basically wasn't there two of the days and i don't really care why the point is it's either done or it's not if it's done you get paid if it's not you don't um and that's how i got people to work on weekends because they actually wanted to get paid um so he did not um that, for Pennsylvania at least, I might be this way, everyone, and I'm just ignorant to it. Um, if you don't pay your child support by Friday night, they put you in jail for the weekend. Um, he never came back after that. Um, so that was that. Oh, shit. Um, so that was that crew died. Um, the other one just drank himself out of the picture. There's no real other way to say that. Um, come to think of that's what the last two did, actually. Um, they, they just They just took themselves out of the game. Um, I overpaid for some guys to to finish up to finish it, but having anyone jump into a process midway through, you're always going to overpay them. That's just yeah the way it is.
0: So well, at um, that point, they kind of know you. You just need to get it done, so they might overpay yeah. you a bit, and you they yeah. also have to take on whatever came before them.
2: Yeah, and, and not to mention all the other hassles of of all the inspectors and all the other local municipal guys. So yeah.
1: Okay. I I actually I have a question about the the wholesaling part of your mm-hmm. business and then also about um the the entire business model of your renting. Um so with wholesaling, I know you said a lot of the time you're going after like estates and stuff like that. Um like are do you think there's some kind of skill set that's required to become a wholesaler like why? Why is it that like the people that you eventually sell to, why don't they just go and directly buy it? Or is it be, is it like a convenience thing?
2: Well, there's two reasons. A yes, there's 100% a hundred percent of skill set that I could talk for hours about. Um, and the second one is yes, it is convenience because a lot of the guys that are, that are buying this are. Regular professionals—they're lawyers, they're accountants—they're doing surgery during the day. They can't be in 20 houses figuring it out because they're in a courtroom or you know whatever their their yeah. profession is. So, I buy a rental for them. You know, they they you know they take care of it from there. They they know they're getting at a good enough rate for what makes them happy. Um. So so for the the landlord side of the world, yes. Um. There is also another guy I have that represents a hedge fund, and they just will they have parameters but there's no amount that's enough houses you can never satisfy that hunger so he just basically is looking for as much help and outsourcing it to people like me so um that's part of so yeah the convenience part of it is certainly why the industry exists period Uh, Mm -hmm. but there certainly is a skill set to being able to communicate to people um And again, I can't get into all of it because it'll take forever. But the number one thing that people do wrong when they try to get into this is they try to essentially destroy the value of the property in front of the old lady. Um, She already knows the house is broken. That's why you're there. Um, If the house was good, it'd be a real estate agent there instead of you. Like, She already knows that. She doesn't need you coming through nitpicking about every single thing that's wrong in the house. Um, So I, I try to look at everything from a positive standpoint, being like, You know, obviously, we're not in Taj Mahal right now. We're going to need to put some effort into this. But we can still get your money for it. And once we sit down and do our numbers, if it's more than your mortgage, you're going to be able to take something away from it. So to answer your question, it's not just the states. Currently, it's the states because of the foreclosure laws and the way that Pennsylvania basically only now started allowing evictions. But nor- my three major groups are people who are getting foreclosed and want to get at least six cents before they get kicked out. Um, obviously, estates and then landlords that don't want to be landlords anymore, and then they, they, you know they they just kicked out a tenant and they just they're done. And um, that group is huge. Um, and and you know it's big here because you know since March Madness until really March of this year, so two years of COVID tenants knew they didn't have to pay and 40% of them didn't pay. So if you had five units and you didn't get paid on two of them, um, you're not getting it back. Awesome. You know, no one's ever evicted. Someone got a cool house back. This doesn't happen. So do you have the money to refix it? Probably not. Cause you're barely holding a float. Um, do you have the desire to refix it? Well, that's going to be dealer's choice, but there's going to be a lot of guys that just say I'm out and, um, you're going to have to liquidate those other two houses and, Supply and demand I can tell you real quick what's going to happen to the price of those houses. Got a ton of supply and the the uh, demand side of the curve is gone, basically. So I'm going to be buying a lot of houses on the cheap. Is what's going to be happening. <laughs> um, but the other, you know, percentage of landlords that don't want to play, they're out. And uh, you know, obviously, each state that was shut down harder has this problem bigger. Um, yeah you know we pennsylvania was shut down a long time so you know you go to texas florida they 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 hear me and think like what the hell are you talking about like yeah it's not a thing i was talking to someone from texas who said that trump said you weren't allowed to evict people on that friday and they were having eviction hearings two mondays later so i was like it didn't really apply in texas but um here it did for a really long time so
0: yeah um that's just in new york Oh yeah, yeah. You like
2: I said, you, uh, um you guys happen to be in a place that's worse than here. We're fifth worst, so <laughs> congratulations.
1: Yay yeah. Yeah. yeah, my so I actually th- this is a bit of like a longer question, but sure. uh, so my, my dad my dad is like like a professional by day and like a landlord, I guess at like twenty four seven. And he like he owns like multiple properties and and he basically manages everything himself. But it's gotten to the point where it's like, I Can't think it's, it's it's becoming taxing on him, like dealing with all these people's problems and like repairs and all of that. I'm sorry, this is my cat. I <laughs> decided to make an entrance. <laughs> um, what, what kind of, adv- like, what... Could, would you be able to like convey to someone in a similar situation to convince them? Like maybe this isn't like the best route for you because I've told my dad so many times there are ways you could be involved in real estate and not do like not put in all of the like, like man hours that you are putting in like every weekend or like sometimes he will have to go from work to go to a place to meet with an inspector or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I, I've been, I've been around the real estate world for for years now with my with my dad and with my family. So, do you have any any insights about that?
2: Yeah. So, in situations like that, the thing I would recommend to anyone is essentially create an equity based partnership with someone who is a professional landlord. Um, that that would be my answer. Don't do one of these higher tenant management that just you're trading essentially dollars instead of an equity stance because in my experience, they just churn tenants to get their upfront deposit. Um, So what I would recommend is find someone who is a professional landlord, not to say that your dad isn't, but clearly he has a, a, a gig that keeps him from being there at noon to see the inspector and has to rush there after work. So that's the thing I would recommend because there are so many different ways a tenant can burn you. Um, that that book is impossible to write. I mean, every day they come up with something new. So you need to have some experience of having been in front of a judge before knowing what will actually stick and not stick. Um, you have to have gone to unfortunately some dark places, um, with, with the tenant world to to actually see how it goes through. And, um, you know, I've, I've,
1: I've seen, (laughs) I've seen, I've seen a lot. Um, um, like, uh, like if I would say, a week and a half ago, there was a fire in one of one of our properties. Uh, someone started a fire in the kitchen. They put out the fire, but the fire marshals came and like mm. destroyed the kitchen anyway. Apps. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. apparently, like they put out the fire before they got before the fire marshals got there. So luckily, they didn't bring in like their hoses and everything. But they just like broke all the walls and stuff to make sure like. I I don't I don't even know like what the heck
0: t- <laughs> well, they yeah and
1: I, and I I was like I'm so I'm in California now I've been in New York my whole life up until three weeks ago but I was like I was talking to my dad on the phone I was like like they they could just pull up destroy shit and leave and it's your problem he's like yes I was like
2: yeah <laughs> why? no well, the the reason they have to is to make sure that there's not a fire inside the wall that you wouldn't yeah. see. Because um, you know the last thing they want to do is pull away and find out they behind the fire while everything's on fire. Exactly. Um, so th- the reason they do that is because they know it's covered by an insurance company, or at least it should be. Yep. insurance companies yep. are, are, are used to that. So it's kind of I'm doing my job, deal with it as cost doing business from the Marshall standpoint. Um, but I mean, like I said, the, the answer is. Um, it's get someone who's, who's gone through this and does this on a regular basis would be my answer um, and, and if, if you don't have anyone locally that you trust um, I would contact whoever his normal attorney is for dealing with tenants because they tend to, to have a, a network of, of people if not be the guy themselves um, to, to know how to do that uh, that that would be what I recommend because I know there's a lot of people out there that that have this exact same thing um, and and that's certainly part of life um, you know because Regardless of how you cut this rental game, whether you're doing where you're putting the liability on them, you're you're keeping all the liability yourself because you never want them to have equity in the house. You still are, at the end of the day, trusting someone to keep their word. And if they you know, do, the rest of this whole game doesn't matter. Life is awesome. But as soon as people stop, that's when we start getting into uh, ugliness and
1: that Evictions is, are That's are, a skill
2: set dealing with that. I mean, there's just no way around it. it, it it's a skill set. There's there's not a,
1: it's it's a magic
2: bullet for
0: Also, if, just if he was to go that route or tried something similar, you one free up a bunch more time so that he could either go into scaling it further or just having more time to spend with the family, which mm-hmm. either or is a pretty good win. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, you obviously for, don't take as much money away each month because you have to give some to the person who's managing the property, but I think that's a, a valid trade off. If what's the point in enjoying the like the passive income from the rental properties if you can't even have the time?
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: The-
2: yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly exactly it. Yeah.
0: And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that this episode was made with ZenCaster, and check out our coupon code below if you're interested to utilize their tools.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. And I guess this the second question I had was more related to um, the rental, like the like n- like minimal liability rental, like business model that you were doing. Can you walk us through like like where the um, like in in a hypothetical situation or an example of some kind, like where your money goes in or where someone's money would go in and where they would get revenue out?
2: Sure. So the starting point is we target the areas that are the borderline rental, the borderline, we're going to have uh, homeowner areas, because if you try to do this in a straight rental area, um, there's not going to be a value in fixing up the house and having the tenant actually buy it. Um, because I mean, y'all can, y'all know what those are in your, your various areas. Yeah. Uh, and if you do it in a place that's just a property owner only area, um, as soon as you put a te- A, it's, hard, it's really hard to get the house at the right price. Um, but as soon as you put a tenant in there, the neighbors will be all over you. You're in a middle zone. Um, they're used to tenants, but also the fact that you're taking a house that could have been a rental and making it into um, a property holder house, it's better for everyone involved, especially the neighborhood. So that's the, the starting spot. That's where we target. Uh, so where does the, where does the money outflow from the company go? Well, step one is is the marketing, whether that be sweat equity or just Facebook ads, Instagram ads, whatever, um, Craigslist banded signs, all of that stuff. So the marketing is step one to be able to get the acquisitions, getting the house under contract, uh, and then whatever you're buying it for is is a, an expense out the door. Um, yep. You do then get the uh, the, the five grand back. Uh, or whatever you charge for your option fee. Cause like I said, you can charge whatever you want. Uh, I just personally think five grand is like the magic number. It's big enough where they care, but it's also small enough where it's doable for enough people to have a market. Um so the way we do it is we do that, we let the tenants stay in there for a year, and then we make that decision about if they're gonna stay or not. Um Either way, whether they're staying or not, the only difference is a three-month delay to put a new tenant in. Um, we then go through the process of we know the house is worth more than it started with because this house probably wasn't all that great in the first place. Not saying it wasn't livable, but it needed some touch-ups, normally aesthetically.
0: Yeah, and the mm-hmm. first
2: guy that was there almost always does it, um, and that that's part of this is, is I'm paying five grand to buy it. So I'm going to do these aesthetic fix-up. I also have a contract that says someone is going to buy this house for much more than I bought it for, but it's written down. So I can then go to, and this is what we do, we then go to a bank and we get the 75% appraisal. Um, are um, to loan to value, but it's almost always what we already have it on a contract for because the appraiser can't get in trouble if there's already a buyer who's going to buy it and he lives there. It's like the easiest appraisal in the world. Um, and anyone who's done straight landlords and dealt with appraisals, you can get burnt really badly. Th- this problem is off the table. Um, it's one of the great parts of it. Like, you're buying it for this. It doesn't matter what I bought it for. I got a guy right now. Like, he yeah. just needs his credit score. So um, so we basically refinance it, get a little juice out of it, paid for our efforts there. Um, but you're basically looking at 15, 18 months of, of money in any given property and then you get more of it out, which then goes into the next property and scaling it so far and so forth. So we did have to come up with enough money for three years worth of a property um, so that, that we could rescale it. That was what the flips in the beginning were for. Um, and, you know, that that's that's just how it starts. Then, like I said, it gets scaled up, tenant then pays down that rent. Obviously, the the price that they're buying it for increases as well. Um, And then one day they give
1: me a big check. Gotcha. Okay. So, like, between that, so that $5,000 deposit, like, say Mm -hmm. after 12 months, somebody decides that, you know, I don't want, I don't think I'm going to buy it, or I don't think I can buy it, and they decide to leave. Is that, like, something in the contract that's non-refundable from the beginning, or is it refundable? It's not refundable at all.
2: If, if it's not a deposit. It's purchasing an option to buy the house. That's okay. what the five grand is. So they, they actually signed two different agreements. Okay. They signed the the traditional lease, not reinvent the wheel there. Whatever your state says you can get away with, do it. Um, and then for um, for the option, it's just I have the option between today and whatever date that I will buy this house. Uh, and then there's a couple of, this contract becomes void clauses. um, One of which is if they ever leave the property during that time period, they void the right to purchase it without getting their money back. Uh, All of them end with without getting your money back. So if you're not able to get financing, that's on you. If you don't want the house anymore, that's on you. Um, Part uh, Somewhere in there, and I don't remember where the lawyer had me do it, um, is the inspection clause says, you can't sell a property without allowing the tenants to have a professional inspector come through it. Um, we make that very clear. it has to happen in the very beginning um, of when they move in, because what I'm not having is them break something and then try to pin it on me to fix later. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, that's all part of that. And, and, you know, I've had people try to use that as escape routes to try to get their money back and, it's never held up so this has now been battle tested in front of a judge or two so and it's more importantly it's had a number of people pay me out and some of the hardest parts of getting all the interest because of the work was to get the banks happy the banks to go with this because this isn't how you normally buy it. if you're a little well, typical loan agent sitting in a bank you don't see contracts like this you just see that big hunk of real estate paperwork from the mls going okay well keeping a repeat because you know what 95% of loans or something like that are given to that yeah. given through that metric. So it's fun to be outside the box sometimes, but sometimes it's a, it's a little challenging.
0: Yeah. Kind of navigating course. a new road. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course. Um, okay. I mean, thank, thank you for walking us through that. Uh, John, do you have any other questions? Yeah, I guess well, my final question would be uh,
0: what's, what's the most uh advantageous like real estate trick or rule that you found along the way not it may not necessarily be for your specific approach or just a general one what's one that you could share
2: um well for the, the the first one is is i guess the one i already said is is you make your money on the acquisition uh, people who realize that Really end up do staying forever. It's the guys who think that I can fix this up for less than what it normally costs. Those are the guys that that never last.
0: So you're saying um, it's based on getting the best price on the property when you acquire it. That's yeah. what you mean by that. Okay. Yeah, I mean that that's everything. The entire yeah. my entire
2: wholesaling business is I'm able to get the price lower than what an investor yeah. would pay for it, for
0: I know what um, I could actually resell it for. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and obviously it makes it a hell of a lot easier to reappraise when you have less in it that you need to get out of it. Um, so when you're going back on the refinancing side, um, it, it makes it very easy. Um, but I mean, also, I mean, don't be a, don't be negative, and nor nor be afraid to fail if that makes sense. You know, those are kind of two different points. But don't be negative with with the tenants. Don't be negative with with people you're you're trying to deal with. Um, not necessarily because you're going to see these people again, because normally you don't, but just once you start spewing that out, it becomes part of you. You know, There's this myth out there. You compartmentalize parts of your life and that I can be a real good person in this part of my life, like when I'm at home, but I got to be a real, real hard ass and and push everyone around when I'm dealing with my crews. And, but reality, you can't be two separate people. Everyone, blends and bleeds and everything else so regardless of what your relationship is with with your family that will have cross-sections in your relationship with your tenants and vice versa and i think that most people don't grasp that um and they, they think that that they can separate that and that's more of a life thing than a yeah than a oh, business thanks. thing but that's uh that's certainly something that's true
0: Thank you. No, no, we always try to tie it back into a bigger picture if we can, just because we know that everyone listening might not want to be a real estate investor at one point. But uh, I guess one more quick thing that came up as you were talking. Uh, How do I want to word this? How How do you go about, I guess, is it just time in the market of knowing how much you can really get a property for? Like how much is it worth, even though everyone else is selling you this idea that it may be worth this, but you know, you can get it for... Twenty thousand or fifty thousand less.
2: Well, um, I guess to answer that question, give a little b- backstory. When I tell anyone who's going to be one of my partners about lead generation, um, I tell them up front I am not a guy who's going to have a high batting average. Um, you know, I'm not going up there and hitting a bunch of singles, but I yeah. am going to have a huge slugging percentage. So okay. when we bring one home, it's going to be a home run or a triple. Um, so part of it is just flat out doing the work and being willing to be in 80 houses and only put bids in on three of them. So that's part of it. Um, There is just a a hyper aggressiveness that I have in, in my bids, but it really does come down at the end of the day to figuring out how to build a relationship with the person who's trying to sell their house and really get beyond the numbers of what does it mean to them to get rid of this house Um, and for many people, the money is not the issue, especially when we're talking about houses that have multiple people getting paid off. Um, you know, some of the the best houses I've bought were referred to me from the force attorneys. Um, you know, neither one of them want to give the other one a damn dime, but they need to get rid of it for legal purposes. It can't be duly in their assets. So, um, I bought a lot of houses for just whatever the mortgage is. Um, at that state so um, you know and that's just from knowing the situation and and diving in a little bit deeper about you know why did you pick me why why did you call me up why did you click on my ad Um, rather than you know talking to to your local real
0: estate agent. Gotcha because I have seen people go about the way of maybe they're going more for singles and doubles but I see them on social media saying i show me any property, I, I want to buy everything right now. I'm in the, I'm trying to buy everything. Like, well, I yeah, guess. I mean,
2: that's what, that's what everyone says. We say the same thing, but it doesn't mean we actually do it, you know? We, okay. Okay. We, we, so we'll, we'll still give people a number, but it's just not going to be like, I, I, I know at the end of the day, just from talking to someone the first five minutes about whether or not I'll ever be their buyer or not. And okay. I tell them that up front, you know, I might not be your buyer. Don't be offended. You know, at the end of the day, we're a business and there's a lot of people that I tell them you shouldn't be selling this house to me. Like I know you want this for the money, and you just think that then don't sell it gonna, to me. Yeah, you're just going to save the seven percent on an agent, but the amount that the agent is going to make you more than what I can pay you is night and day. So, um, yeah, I, I tell people that directly, and one of the guys and I refer them to an agent, which you know, there's a little bit of juice there, but that that's not yeah. really any money compared to if it became mine. Yeah. Um, but I've had people where I've told that to that have called me back, you know, a couple of years later and they just sold me some other piece of property that just basically got thrown on their lap um, that they didn't want. So I was like, cool. So it worked out, um, you know, just basically being as upfront and honest, you know, I can't, I will go to any house and look at it, but okay. I can't buy every house off. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a limit of capital. So the simple fact is, is, you know, you, you, I'm willing to, to look at basically anything. There there are some situations where no, but the number one reason I don't buy a house actually is normally I just don't want to give that person money. I mean, really, that that's where I'm at now. Like I deal with, I, I go through and meet the guy. And it's like I don't want, you, I don't want to give you money, and that's it. So so it, it's kind of a an important element of 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 life in through this. You know, yeah. not necessarily that they're a bad salesperson. Just I can tell already I don't like you. So you're not getting my money.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's it's, I think it's also just like what's situational. Some people, like you said, just want to get rid of it for what the mortgage is, get it off their hands. When other people, you know, it might have been the house they've lived in for so many years. They're attached to it. They might be a little less willing to play around with that stuff. And then maybe that's not someone that you want to buy from.
2: Well, actually, no, I, I've had people that that they want to they know who the buyer is and, and they want to be able to control that so that they want to make sure that the person who does buy it has a plan for it. Um, you know, if they just sell it through a real estate agent, um, you never actually meet who's buying the house from you until it's you signed the deed. Yeah. So the, the, there are some control freaks. I've bought houses over that, you know, basically as I'm walking through the house, they're asking, what am I going to do to it? This, that, and the other. And um, you know, sometimes they like my vision and, and because they like my vision, they basically to say, you could have it um, type deal. And, uh, you know, it, it, so, so there is no magical off button uh, with the exception yeah. of the fact that I live in Pittsburgh and we have the second most bridges of any county in the world. Just as a fun fact, um, only Venice has more than us. But <laughs> as the, the reason I say that is because we have a ton of hills and they're all steep hills. So if a foundation and all these houses were built before world war two. So um, if the foundations start going, they don't come back. So that's like the only real thing that doesn't happen a lot, but you know, once a month or so you get a house with a busted foundation. And I know that house is going to end up at the bottom of the hill. I'm not taking it part of this. So, but aside from that, it's, it, it's not really that big of a deal.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day too, <clears throat> we've, sat down and had interviews with real estate investors that go entirely different strategy. But at the end of the day, it's really just trying things, finding what works for you and your plan, and then just learning and expanding upon that knowledge and course correcting along the way until you have like this strategy that really works for you. Would you agree with that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. For me, it was get partners that will fill my calendar and then work acquisitions forever. And then let the house kind of dictate what you want to do with it. Um, you know we, we some of the most profitable things are we've bought the house on terms from the seller um, and that's something that's gonna really pick up now that we're about to be in a recession again um, that that they would just want to get it off their books so we take over the house we take over the existing mortgage um, and just you know buy off of them that way and uh, some of our best deals are, are that you know these are uh, these are gonna be interesting times that we're about to live in where I guarantee you everyone will hate landlords, but the people who destroyed their house and got evicted did it to themselves. So I look at it like that too.
0: Yeah. I've definitely been preparing with some capital to start entering the real estate game myself. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, twenty three. Yeah,
2: if you look at it realistically, because of what I just said before about landlords that got burnt and, and them having to liquidate these houses, the rental areas in every major city um, are going to have a, Ton of supply with no demand. That means the value of the house are going to go through the floor. But on the rental side, there's Income's not going to be enough units for as many people that just got evicted. Uh. So, therefore, the rents are going to go skyrocketing as the value of the properties decrease, something that you rarely have the opportunity to see in a normal market. And it's going to basically be normal across this country. And if the president still believes in yelling at anyone who makes money, um, you're, we're going to have a bad time, but if it's the other party in charge, it'll be great. So we'll see what, uh, what November does.
0: Awesome. Um, uh, Ed, did you have any other questions? I think, I think otherwise this would be perfect time to wrap up. Perfect. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. That was definitely a lot of value and knowledge for the audience. I hope, uh, they can pull a lot of stuff from that and I definitely wish you the best, you know, moving forward with your plan. Perfect.
2: Well, thank you guys very much.
0: Thank yeah. You. Hopefully you take advantage of, uh, these times that are coming up, like you just said, and maybe we could link up again and review all the progress that's been made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Hopefully we're, we're still able to, we'll, 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 see who's, uh,
0: um, uh, was there any social medias or anything you wanted to plug? Uh,
2: no, the the only thing I would really like to plug is, is I do have a podcast that is very yeah. different than the world of real estate. Um, it's called father and Joe. And, and basically, um, what we, uh, uh, strive to accomplish is to show the practical benefits of trying to live a virtuous life. Um, and if you really kind of look at the, the tangible results of, of the virtues, which are prudence to be more educated, to think more about problems before you start talking, uh, courage to be able to stand up to something that's wrong and not just go with every stupid idea, even if you know it's wrong, um, temperance, which is to control yourself in really all ways um, food, you know, temper, um, (laughs) you know, big ones. And, um, if you really think about it, if your neighbor had these things in capacity, he'd be a better neighbor. If he wasn't freaking out every time that a blade of grass was too long on, on your yard or, or, um, not thinking before, before he said stuff. So we we've been doing that. We've been doing that podcast for five years now. And like I said, we try to deal with the practical elements and, um, you know, obviously, it, it's about, about God at the end of the day. So, like, it's about life too. So, we look at things that are going on in my life, but also there's things that are going on in the world that we can't control. Like this crazy dude over in Russia just decided to start killing everyone. Like, if he didn't exist, people wouldn't be dying. But on the other hand, we're rooting for a dude to die. Like, that's a confliction. Like, like how, how should we yeah. think stuff like this through? So, um, those are the types of things that we dive through, and then obviously all the crazy stuff that goes on in my life talking about a tenant or two every now and again does pop up, but it's certainly not the, uh, the major theme of it. Gotcha.
1: I mean, that, that sounds um, really interesting. I'm guessing, is it available on like all major podcast streaming platforms?
2: Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's everywhere. Again, it's called, it's three words, father and Joe. It, it, it's really straightforward. Um, his name's Father Boniface Hicks, and he does the majority of the talking, not me, which makes it a whole lot better.
0: He's in <laughs> incredibly <laughs>
2: overqualified to do what he's doing.
0: That's great. Awesome. Uh so if that's all you wanted to plug, thank you, Joe, so mm-hmm. much again. Uh really appreciate it. And uh for everyone listening, you guys know where to reach us. Black box podcast, no a in the black on Instagram and Twitter, black box podcast with an A in the black on TikTok. Uh Please, if you enjoyed listening to this episode or any of our other episodes, leave a five-star review. It really means a lot for us, you know, trying to grow and move forward in this stage. Uh, Otherwise, thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Peace.